Hello, friends. I'm Alan Kirshner from Eschatos Ministries. As a Christian, you can't help but hear the news and watch the turmoil of our day and know that the return of Christ is nearing. Bible Prophecy Daily is committed to the daily feeding of God's people to make overcomers. But there is a material cost to this global outreach. Please consider committing to giving to Eschatos Ministries on a monthly basis. You can easily do so by clicking the support button in the corner at the podcast website at BibleProphecyDaily.com. We appreciate you and pray that God will bless and strengthen you. Thank you. You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Greetings and salutations, as I like to say. My name is Mike Ufferman. I work with the Ministry of Zion's Hope, and I'm glad that you could be here with me today as we get into a study on the book of Malachi. As we go through this study, um, I think that we'll see that there's a relationship to another book in the New Testament, and we'll kind of try to tie these things together. Uh, Right now, uh, we're talking about, if you will, twins of a different mother, But basically, we're really talking about twins of a different covenant, if that makes any sense. Maybe that doesn't make sense right now, but it will as we make our way through this. So today we're going to be looking at the book of Malachi, if you want to get out your Bible. And we're basically going to work through all those chapters in Malachi. Uh, In the way of preliminaries to this discussion, we need to understand, of course, that God knows how to create all things. Uh, He was the creator of earth, creator of heaven, creator of the angelic beings, creator of everything on earth, including creator of humanity. Certainly then, if he's able to create all those things, God's able to write a Bible. God knows in what order to even put the books of the Bible, and everything that he does has purpose and power. So it makes sense that the order of the books of the Bible is not by accident, but that in fact he put them together on purpose. As we look at this book of Malachi today... Uh, we need to understand that it's certainly the last book of what we would call the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And so it's there for a reason. So my first question, of course, (laughs) has to be, so what's it about? Uh, What sermons have you heard from the book of Malachi? Probably two that you can remember uh, from sitting in the pews someplace. Maybe you've even preached it at one point in time, or you've used it as a reference yourself. Uh, Certainly the one about tithing. And uh, there's lots of thoughts on tithing, and a lot of people would go to the book of Malachi and talk about how God requires a tithe. Bring the tithes into the storehouse is one of those messages that we would hear often, maybe on an annual basis at your church uh, regarding tithing. Another message, though, that you might hear is how God hates the putting away or how God hates divorce. And so we would use that as an example of how we're supposed to try to keep our marriages together, how we're supposed to work on uh, causing them to endure, because a marriage is the picture, basically, of the bride and the bridegroom, which, as we look at God and we know that the church is in relationship with God, certainly we would never want that uh, to end in divorce, even though we do see in Scripture where uh, at some point in time God tells Uh, one of the prophets to issue a a document of divorcement 
for the nation of Israel, that God is divorcing Israel. But in that very same passage of scripture later on, God comes back and he says, now even though she's divorced, tell her to come back to her husband. So God never stopped being the husband. We would see in that example that the divorce actually was a document of separation, uh, of, of causing a distance between the two, but that does not mean that they had permission to go and remarry. At least not in that passage of scripture, and we can get into all kinds of other discussions about when a person might be allowed or not allowed to uh, to remarry, and uh, that's a complicated topic, and we'll set that off for another day. Uh, but you know, Malachi is God's last communication to Israel in particular, but to mankind as well uh, for 400 years, and so that last period of the book of Malachi to the first letter of the book of Matthew, that was a 400-year span of time right there. So it has to be more significant as far as the book of Malachi. It has to be more significant than just a message on tithing and a message on divorce. There's got to be something a lot more to the book of Malachi that we really need to pay attention to because, again, God works with purpose and power. So as we look at Malachi, we see that there's a conflict that's brewing in that message through the, pal uh, through the prophet Malachi. But the question is, who is the conflict with? So we start in Malachi chapter 1, and we see it says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. So God is speaking to Israel in general, at least at this point in time, through the prophet Malachi. And he says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, so somebody is saying back to God, Wherein hast thou loved us? When, when have you loved us? What, you know, what evidence, what proof do we have that you've loved us? And then God says, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I love Jacob. And so God is saying here, look, look at lineage. Look at the, the people of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's through Jacob and his seed that I've chosen you people. I have loved Jacob and therefore the lineage of Jacob. He's trying to point out to them who have been up in his face already and who have said, well, wherein hast thou loved us? And he's giving them the example that I love Jacob. So then the question goes back then. So what's the source of this conflict wherein God says, I've loved you? And yet the people of Israel are saying, wherein hast thou loved us? In Malachi 1 chapter, or verse 6, excuse me, it says here that a, a son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, wherein is mine honor? So if you're going to consider me God the Father, where is the honor that's due God the Father? Or if you're not going to consider me God the Father, if you're just going to consider me a master, a taskmaster, then where is the fear that you owe me as a master or as a taskmaster? This is what the Lord is asking the people of Israel. But then he goes on and he says, unto you, O priests that despise my name. So the message is not, specifically only to the people of Israel, but is specifically to those people who are the priests. The priests of Israel are the problem. These are the people that should know best. They should know that God is the father. God is not the master. God is not the taskmaster. God is the one who loves the nation of Israel. And yet they're the ones who are asking him, oh, really? When have you ever loved us? And so these are the people that should know God the best. These are the ones that should be able to lead the nation to righteousness. Again, they're saying, wherein have we despised thy name? Because he had just asked them that question. And they're again in God's face in this context. Where have we ever despised thy name? The priests dare to challenge God. They dare to challenge God's prophet Malachi. Uh, 
In verse 7, he gives examples. God says, ye offer polluted bread, so decaying bread, moldy bread, upon mine altar. And ye say, well, wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. In other words, we don't need to bring our best to the table of the Lord. We just need to put something there. Okay, so we'll go ahead and we'll do that. As the priests, we'll, we'll just put some bread there. It doesn't have to be the best bread that we have for the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the lineage of Jacob, this nation of Israel. Or when they bring sacrifices, God says, and if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? So for the sacrifices, you're bringing me the lamb, you're bringing me the goat, you're bringing me the ox, and, and you're bringing me the worst the ones that are blind, the ones that are not the best in your crops or the best in your animals. And so you're bringing me the worst that, that, that there is. Is it not evil? And, and he says, and if you offer the lame and the sick, so you can understand how you've got animals that are lame, that are sick, that are being brought to be the sacrifice. You're bringing me rotten bread. You're bringing me blind animals. You're bringing me lame animals, sick animals. So, then he says, well, go ahead now. Take it over to the governor and see what the governor says about that. Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? What governor would want to then take that animal and, and, and cook it and eat it? No, no, this is a lame animal. I don't want it. Take it back. And yet we're talking about God here and not just the governor. Anyhow, this is the question that asks the Lord of hosts. And now I pray ye beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your person? So by the actions that you've had, by the conduct that you've had, by the animals of the flocks that you've brought, by the bread that's moldy and rotting and decaying that you brought, will God honor you? Will he regard you in the way that you want to be regarded? And yet, Look at what you're showing him. And this, again, is dealing specifically with the priests. And this is what the Lord of hosts is asking. God has condemnation for these religious leaders. He says in verse 10 in Malachi 1, I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts, neither will I accept an offering at your hand. And so these are the people that are offering the sacrifices on behalf of the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is not having sacrifices that are accepted by God because of their disregard their contempt of their father, of their worst case scenario, taskmaster God. Verse 11 continues and it says, For from the rising of the sun, even until the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. So not even my nation Israel, it's the Gentiles that are going to worship me. And my name will be great, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name. And a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. Not you guys. You guys are the chosen ones. And yet, my name is not going to be great amongst you. Why? You have profaned it. In that you say, the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. And you said also, behold, what a weariness it is. Oh, we don't, just don't want to do this offering. We don't want to keep doing this sacrifice. We don't care what God says. He's making us tired. And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. 
and thus he brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? So clearly God has an argument with the priests, and apparently you priests don't know whom you are dealing with. In verse 14 it says, But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. And yet you despise me and you have contempt for me. What a place that they've come to. That's in Malachi chapter 1. Now Malachi chapter 2, the priests are now going to be admonished. And we see in verse 1, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. I am talking specifically to you. If ye will not hear, if ye will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you. And I will curse your blessings. Yea, yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Again, these are the people that are supposed to be leading the nation of Israel to righteousness, and yet God is saying, your words are nothing to me. I will curse the very things that you do. And bringing the nation to Israel, there's going to be a consequence because of you as well. Verse 4, it says, And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. So the tribe of Levi is where the priests come from. And so God is specifically dealing with them. Uh, the family line of Aaron would be the high priestly um, line. So tribe of Levi. And this is where God is specifically dealing with uh, the nation or the people of Levi and his covenant will be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. So God said that the priesthood would be from the tribe of Levi and he's going to deal with them. Malachi 2 verse 5 continues, My covenant was with him of life and peace and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. So because Levi feared me, because Levi had a right, righteous respect and fear of me. I have blessed him, but you guys are a mess. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. That's the job of the priest, to bring people to the Lord, and yet they were leading the people away from the Lord. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. What a sad statement for the priests of Israel. Verse 11 says, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. So, the nation is turning even away from God because the leadership is not bringing them toward God. How do we know this? Look in the book of Ezekiel, for example. Uh, it will be in chapter 8, and I'm going to be in a few verses here. But we see in Ezekiel that it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat in mine house, and the elders of Judah sat before me. So again, we had the reference to Judah just a moment ago, that the hand of the Lord fell there upon me, upon Ezekiel. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, according to the vision that I saw in the plain. 
Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north, and behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. So Ezekiel is seeing this vision of the nation of Israel having an idol at the entry to the altar in the temple of the Lord. Behind the scenes, we've got a view of this as well in verse 6. And he said, Furthermore unto me, son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here? That I should go far off from my sanctuary? Are you trying to kick me out of my sanctuary? Look at what they're doing. Why should I remain here when they're turning it into a place of idol worship? But turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see even greater abominations, Ezekiel. This is not bad compared to what they're doing elsewhere. Verse 10, it says, And so I went and I saw, and behold, every form of creeping thing, and abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel, portrayed upon the wall round about. So here in the temple of God, in the sanctuary of God, there are all these abominable things that are, are on the walls. They've got the idols there. They're, they're worshiping animals. They're worshiping creeping things. And, uh, well, certainly have turned against God in what Ezekiel is seeing here in verse 10. Verse 12 says, Then he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? So they're trying to hide all of this. Every man in the chambers of his imagery, for they said, The Lord seeth us not. So their God is not powerful enough to see them wherever they are all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No, he only sees us when we're out in public, and so we can do these other things in hiding. And this is the way we handle our own sin many times, isn't it? Well, maybe God won't see me do this one thing. And yet we know he does, and we know that we should repent. And these people are not repenting, and the Lord has forsaken them. The women even saying, Behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. And you can go back and study Tammuz. Uh, that was pagan worship. Verse 16, it says, About five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord, and their faces toward the east, worshiping the sun. They had worshipped the sun toward the east. Therefore will I also deal in fury, mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. So everything that I've seen, I will not let them off the hook. I will not have pity on them because they've turned against me. In particular the priests, because the priests know better. The priests are the ones that are supposed to be leading, me, leading people toward me, and yet the priests are leading people away from me, even to the point to where they are facing away from the temple. And though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. So back to Malachi chapter 2, the Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. So God will turn away all of these people, in particular because of what they're doing behind the scenes, and what they're doing in private, and what they're doing in the darkness, thinking that God doesn't see them. Verse 14 says, And yet ye say, Wherefore? Why? Well, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Now God is dealing with the men. Now God is dealing with even the priests and the way that they handle their wives. Again, now is where we get into this one message that we hear many times regarding divorce. Okay? Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. You're supposed to have this relationship with her and you're supposed to be forever. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. Take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. 
Yet you say, wherein have we wearied him? These, these priests again in the face of God again and again. And when, and when you say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delighteth in them, or where is the God of judgment? These are the things that you're saying that God is wearying from. Hmm. You priests are obviously not representing me, nor are you paying attention to my word. You've turned away from God. It's supposed to be a, a marriage relationship between God and Israel. And yet Israel has turned away. In essence, Israel has divorced God. God, of course, detests the putting away. God detests divorce. God detests the separation, in particular, between him and his people. And here he's using the example of the priests to say, look at what you're doing with your own wives. The same thing as what you're doing with me. You detest this relationship with me. You need to pay attention about what, I, what I'm about to say, though, is what he's getting ready to say here. Malachi chapter 3, we now move into, and here's his warning for them. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. So God is saying, I am going to come to you. And there's going to be a messenger that comes before I come. I'm going to send a messenger, he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. You want to find God? You want to find the true God? He's going to come to you. And you'll even have a way to know that he's coming because there's going to be a messenger that's going to be uh, crying out and letting you know that he is amongst you. Okay, Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But, here's the question that he asks these priests, but who may abide in the day of his coming? How will you stand up? Who will stand up in the day of my messenger's coming, in the day of the one that you're seeking, the Lord, in the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appeareth? Who will be able to stand in righteousness when he comes? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He'll clean up the things that need to be cleaned up. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi. This Lord will purify the priests and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Somehow God is going to clean up that priestly relationship with God. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. There's going to be some kind of a, a predecessor to the Lord, somebody announcing the Lord is going to come. Then the Lord comes, and the Lord is going to find a way to clean up that priesthood. We'll see how all that works out. And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be swift uh, a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against the false swearers and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right. And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. I'm going to take care of all of these people. For I am the Lord. I change not. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed, because I've made promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. It's for that reason that you are not consumed. Not because of your righteous, not, righteousness, not because of your acts, but because I'm God and I stand by my word. But he does exhort them, return unto me, 
and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye say, wherein shall we return? So what are we supposed to come back to? We haven't left you. And will a man rob God? And yet ye have robbed me. He's giving an example. You don't think of me rightly even yet. And you've robbed me. But then ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? And he says, in tithes and offerings. And here's that second message that we hear so often, the message about tithes and offerings. Again, that message of divorce. But the message of divorce is much bigger than just a husband and wife. The message of divorce is the priests from God, the nation of Israel from God. And now here, it's, it's about robbing God in those things that God has given you and that you would give back to him. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. You're not bringing to me the things that you're supposed to. And he says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith. This is a lesson that I learned young as a, as a young Christian from my wife, who was uh, a much stronger Christian than I was in my young years. And, um, and she said, we need to make sure to give to the Lord what is his. And so... The minimum that we give, and I'm not trying to sound all holy and righteous and all of that kind of stuff, but the minimum that we give is 10% of our gross income. Any penny that we have come in, basically, we try to give a tenth of it. And, and, and that's before taxes. Um, but then we also give above and beyond that, too. And, and we're not testing God, but we trust God. And so because we trust God, we know that uh, if he leads us to give money to something or someone, We'll do that because he'll also make sure to take care of us. And we've seen that in some very, very big ways um, with some uh, amazing examples in my life. And you'd have to know me privately in order to be able to understand what I'm talking about. But it goes on here and it says, and if I will, see, if, uh, see if I will not open you the, the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground, neither shall your vine cast your fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord. In other words, I will protect those things that are yours. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. So now the best part of the book of Malachi is coming up here as we see this statement, as we now have this blessing that's going to be ongoing. And then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. So we do have some that did turn to the Lord then. And the Lord heard them. He hearkened and heard it. And, and a book of remembrance was written before him. Remembrance would be those that are saved. Okay. Those that have, have trusted in the Lord. Those that have chosen by their faith to give back to the Lord, to, to uh, honor the Lord to worship the Lord, to trust the Lord, and to not worship false idols, and to not do things in darkness, but everything out in the light. And a book of remembrance was written before him, and them that feared the Lord, and that thought upon his name. Verse 17, it says, And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Spare them. Now we're talking about end times. Now, this book of Malachi that most people don't really associate with the end times, it's clearly talking about that end. Okay? Uh, they will not be those who are consumed. Uh, I will spare them. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Malachi chapter 4 is talking about this coming dreadful day now. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. 
And yet those that are in that book of remembrance will not be consumed as in that day that shall burn as an oven. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. They will be burned up. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. And this is where you would want to go and study the pre-wrath rapture and understand the Lord's second coming and understand his judgments that will be brought down in the trumpets and in the bowls and understand that God has a plan for those that are his, a protection for those that are his, and then the destruction of those that are not his. And it's not that they didn't have the opportunity, it's that they had the choice and they chose not. There is a dreadful day that's coming. Uh, in verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So remember, we were talking about there's going to be a Messiah, or there's a Lord who's coming, and there's a messenger that's going to come before him. And so as we look further on into this uh, in our next study, we'll see that the Lord does send a messenger before his first coming. Okay, and yet this is now talking about the coming of the dreadful day of the Lord as well. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So we can look back with hindsight 2020 and we know that the Lord came and we know that John the Baptist was the one who was out there speaking ahead of the arrival of Jesus. We'll go into that in more detail in our next uh, session. But it's talking about very clearly the dreadful day of the Lord, and the dreadful day of the Lord has not happened yet. And so it's saying that Elijah the prophet will come before that day. So here we've got this prophecy regarding two times that we see the Lord, his first coming, his second coming. And each of them will have a precursor. We'll have somebody who's announcing him, John the Baptist. And we know that the Bible talks about John the Baptist is like Elijah in the New Testament. But then we also have Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. We know that there are actually two witnesses that come uh, before the Lord's second coming. And uh, they'll be there in Jerusalem. And I would suggest to you this is a very good reason to believe that one of those two witnesses is Elijah the prophet. In verse 6, then he goes and he says, And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. I think that this is talking about family, but I think it could also be talking about the hearts of the people turning back to their father. Not the taskmaster, but their father, God. Otherwise, he will smite them as well. And then what do we have? We have a period. And here that period is possibly the saddest period in most of the scripture because it represents 400 years of silence. And the Lord said that he was going to come to earth. He warned that he was going to send a forerunner. He asked the priests what he would find when he confronts them upon his first coming. And uh, we'll discuss that in our next session. So I look forward to seeing you then. And we'll be more than happy to welcome you back. Until then, may the Lord bless you. My name is Mike Ufferman. I work with the Ministry of Zion's Hope, and I'm very, very glad that we were able to have this conversation today. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 